Let's recap the B&B principle. The first B stands for birthday and the second for bleach. The principle of birthday states that wherever you go on planet Earth, you will never in your life bump into somebody who does not have a birthday. What birthdays do is inform people that before this day they did not exist. Having not existed, you couldn't have possibly created yourself. Having not created yourself, you couldn't have possibly know on your own what to do with a life you never created. Therefore, B. The second B stands for bleach and is representative of the principle that whatever existed before you arrived on planet Earth will not change its reality just to accommodate your needs, dreams, fantasies, wishes, thoughts and hopes, like bleach. By the time you arrived on planet Earth, bleach was not a friendly drink. Therefore, even if you beg, plead, cajole, threaten, bribe, explain logically to the bleach that it's anyway wet in a bottle and you're on the point of dehydration, it will not become a friendly drink for you for the simple reason that it is not motivated to accommodate your needs, dreams, fantasies, wishes and hope since it does not need you as evidenced by the fact that by the time you arrived on planet Earth it was here before you. It is therefore independent of you. It therefore will not accommodate you. If you want to remain safe from bleach, you are dependent on the people who were here before your birthday, who are in the know, who will share with you the rules of bleach so that you can accommodate those laws. So that all of life is a massive attempt to discover the rules of life from those in the know who were here before us so that we can accommodate those rules so that we remain safe and happy. Okay, um, today's topic is uh, about the principle of resurrection. From a B&B perspective, um, since Hashem is one and there's only one of him, so nobody can get rid of him. There's no one more powerful than him. No one can overthrow him. No one can do away with him. He's staying. He's hang, staying around forever, eternally. And he created us as part of him. That we are an actual part of Hashem. So therefore, we also have to stay around eternally. Because he's eternal. So since nobody can get rid of him, nobody can get rid of us either. So we're going to have to hang around forever. And ever and ever and ever and ever. So, um, you can, well, since, again, from a and b perspective, B says that since you have a birthday, you could not have possibly created yourself. It also means that you have no way of knowing how to get rid of yourself, even if you wanted to. Just like you didn't know how to create yourself, don't know how to get rid of yourself. And you can get rid of yourself because you're part of Hashem. And there's only one of Him, so the two of you are inseparable. So you have no way of getting rid of yourself, so you're going to have to live forever. Yeah, your soul. Yeah, your soul uh, and your body. Because Hashem decreed that the reason that your body, you'll be resurrected in a body, in an immortal body, the reason for that is because Hashem is perfect, whatever He created, every molecule of life, from the Doimim Tzimei Echai, Medabi Yisrael, Malachim Yisrofim Chai, Svanakodesh Harelim, the whole hierarchy of existence from inanimate objects to uh, the world of the vegetative world, Tzimeiach, Chai, animal world, Medabi, human, Yisrael, Jews, Malachim, angels, Theurgy, all that world. Uh, everything is forever because every molecule of life that he created in the law of conservation is going to be converted into eternal lifeblood supply eternal pleasure for those who used it for the right things and whatever he created since he's perfect whatever he created is part of eternity like the Gemara says that the walls of a person's house will go with him in the afterlife and uh, the Gemara learns that out from a Pasuk. It's a Pasuk in Eev, Evan Mikir Tizak, that um, the stone, it um, cries from the wall, meaning that even stones, inanimate objects, since nothing creates itself, back to the B&B principle, just like humans have birthdays, stones have also a birthday. At one point in time, they didn't exist either. Hashem brought them all into existence in Sheish Zimei in the first six days of creation. Since they couldn't create themselves, they also don't know how to get rid of themselves, just like everything else that was created. 
So we're talking about the necessity of an afterlife. Since we are created, we never created ourselves, we also don't know how to get rid of ourselves. And since we, hopefully nobody wants to, but even if they want to, they can. And since Hashem is eternal, since there's only one of Him, no one can overpower Him. So He's going to have to live forever. And since we're part of Him, there's only one of Him, we're inseparable to Him, we're also going to have to live forever. So talking about the... That's right. That's right. So That's true. That's right. That's true. That's why recycling is in, so we should be familiar with it, because we are recycled right now in reincarnated souls, and we shall be recycled in the afterlife, and we will have a nice fixed-up body, all nice new, all nice new, fresh. Chadoshim labkorim rabba munasecha. Teschadosh kineshinu Everything all nice, all nice fixed up after some rehabs, some reconstructive surgery. So, um, exactly, nothing is wasted. Part of Hashem's perfection, understanding the oneness of Hashem, also forces His perfection. And um, a natural logical extension, a manifestation, a construct of His perfection is that whatever he existed is perfect forever and will never be lost. Every single molecule of life, every breath will never be lost. We did this in one of our podcasts, how every breath doesn't get lost and gets translated into food. Nothing will be lost because he's perfect. So he certainly doesn't dispose of anything he does either. He doesn't waste anything. So therefore, we're going to have to live forever. And like the Messiah Sashorim says, that every part of the world, the world was created to service man. Man is the crown of creation. The entire world was created to accommodate man's um, mission statement to get into a relationship with Hashem so that every part of life that contributed in whatever which way, whatever form, whatever level of contribution to man fulfilling his mission will have to live forever and ever and ever and ever because there's another rule that Hashem will never deprive Chazal tell us, our sages tell us that Hashem will never deprive any creature of its due reward, its due recompense for fulfilling its mission statement which is servicing man for example, if you would, would be such a thing that you could interview a stone and you ask him, what's your deepest desire? What would be your highest goal and aspiration? He would say, somehow to land up in the service of a, in the hands of a Jew who will use me somehow to serve Hashem. If you'd interview a, a clod of earth, you ask him, what's your greatest dream? He would say that some grass will grow on me and a cow will eat me and the cow will be ritually slaughtered by Jews, and they'll put me on the Shabbos Yonta table, I will have reached my happiest day of my life. I'll become part of a Jew forever. And that's part of Hashem's perfection and absolute p- purposefulness, that nothing gets wasted. Certainly not human beings, the crown of creation, so that we're going to have to exist forever. Apart from the fact that Hashem decreed that we're going to exist forever. And so therefore we will. Of course, if he would choose to completely get rid of someone, since he's a free being, he, he, he can do that. He can do anything he wants. He's a kol yochel. But he chose not to. And we, the Jewish nation, who willingly accepted upon ourselves to keep the entire Torah, the Torah was given that the mitzvahs must be kept forever. Every single mitzvah is chukas oilam l'doyre seichem. It's a statue forever. V'sham rabnei Yisrael es ha-shabos, l'asas es ha-shabos l'doyre seichem bris oilam. We accepted upon ourselves a covenantal bond to keep Shabbos, bris oilam, a covenant forever. 
all mitzvahs are forever, so that the nation who accepted upon themselves that they're going to keep the mitzvahs will have to live forever in order to keep the mitzvahs forever. Meaning, the Torah preceded the world by 2,000 years, the Gemara tells us, the Torah, the, so the world was created 2,000 years after the Torah in order to accommodate the Torah. The Jewish nation was created in order to keep the Torah. The world was created to accommodate the Jews' need to keep the Torah. So that if in the Torah it says that we need to eat matzahs on Pesach, then the world will have to produce wheat and water, because that's the only way you can do this mitzvah. The Histakal Baraisa Vara Alman, which the Zoya Kodesh says, Hashem looked into the Torah and created the world, means that whatever mitzvah there is that we have to keep and every single detail of life that we need in order to achieve those mitzvahs, the world will provide it for you. And then the world will get rewarded for that and you will get rewarded for using the world properly. So it's the law of conservation of energy everything in the end will be translated into spiritual bliss but the reason that we'll be resurrected in our bodies um, is because the body also contributed was actually the vehicle by which we did all the mitzvahs and Hashem will never deprive any molecule of life it's due reward so even the body needs to be rewarded with a blissful afterlife so that the whole world will be Eretz Yisrael, Gemara tells us, and Eretz Yisrael will be Yerushalayim, so plenty living space, no high market value, no high real estate that you can't afford, plenty living space, plenty parking, and the, the Gemara Sector Shabbos says that Osid, that the world in the future the trees in the future, the life will give out gloskois, glucose, sweets. Trees will produce sweet things like... So it's going to be utopia. Eventually it's going to be utopia. Hashem promised us that we would do the mitzvahs. It'll be It'll be only good for us eternally, forever and ever and ever and ever. Then that's, there has to be a place where that will happen. And everybody noticed that right now it doesn't seem yet that we are in dreamland or blissland. So Hashem's truth forces that that day will come. And that's, that's the afterlife. So that's one reason for, for the, for what, from a rationalistic perspective why we know that there's an afterlife is because Hashem is eternal. And just like He can't get rid of Himself, He can't get rid of us. I mean, I mean, everything is eternal. You're talking about eternal qualities to begin with. So then you can ask a question, what about the wicked? Are they going to live on eternally? Many things it tells on Chazal. If you do this, then... Don't get up to won't get up to the afterlife. Getting up means that at one point you were sleeping, which we call it death. Similar to sleep, a sixtieth. I mean sleep is a sixtieth of death. Horizontal kind of situation. So um so the question is what will be with the wicked in the afterlife? It doesn't make sense to say, oh, they'll just go in the garbage can. Because since there's only one of Hashem, and they were also created but Salmoi, all human beings were created but Salmoi in Hashem's image, how is he able to get rid of them if he can't get rid of himself? They, they still came as a result of his will. So what's going to be with them? And then the more theological question is, if we're all going to get up in the afterlife, why do I need to bother? The wicked and me, we're all the same. Everyone's going to the same wedding. So I'll get a steak and he'll have chicken. Okay. I'll get used to chicken after a while. But this have to work so hard. So something here is 
needs explanation. What's the status of life for the wicked in the afterlife? Okay? So, and the, what, what do we do with all these expressions in Chazal that this will, one will get up, this one won't get up, and, and or oh, is one, many Pesukim in Shia, what's going to happen? Hashem's going to uh, grind up the wicked and uh, turn them into ashes and throw their dust, the, the, the ashes under the feet of the righteous. So what's what's going on? So in order to really understand this, we need to have um, an explanation. I would say it's maybe it's more psychological explanation. Or understanding the the feature of experience in the afterlife. What actually happens in the afterlife? A student asked me this Friday um, that when we get to heaven. What one of the six questions Hashem is going to ask us is going to be this. So it's true that she is referring to a Gemara Masechta Shabbos that says that there's six questions Hashem is going to ask us in the afterlife, and she said, uh, "But uh, is this also a question?" I explained to her that what it means, the quality of life in the afterlife. This is like. Uh, metaphorical way of speaking but it's not that you need to be afraid that Hashem is going to ask you this going to ask you that and you're going to be stumped for an answer that's not the nature of the experience the nature of the experience is like when a person transitions out of his body and starts experiencing deeper levels of soul consciousness because a person has created the five levels of consciousness, nefesh, ruach, neshama, chayechida. Nefesh is responsible for our physical life. We experience it with our five physical senses. And the ruach is responsible for our emotional life. We experience it in our... It lives in our heart. The nefesh lives in our, in our blood for the temporary time being, how long a person lasts, like maximum 120 years. And the ruach lives in, in your heart. And the uh, nefesh, ruach, and the neshama called Neshama, third level of consciousness. It lives in your moyach. That's the place where we philosophize and we theologize and we try to figure out ethics and what's right and what's wrong, morality and values. And this is in ascending order of strength. The nefesh, our physical life, is the least powerful over us, as much as it's hard to believe, but it's the least. Our emotions are more powerful than our physical life. Meaning, people don't give away. Let's say the nefesh is good food and good times and entertainment and and distractions and uh, uh, an hour sleep and stuff like that. Nefesh stuff, physical stuff that we, um, you know, we satisfy ourselves with. And ruach, let's say, is relationships. So everybody knows that you would stay up an hour. You'd give up an hour of sleep to spend time with someone that you love. Or nobody was, it's not the kind of transaction that we give up some food. Sometimes we can talk to someone and we're very hungry and we don't feel hungry just because we enjoy their company. Sometimes you can be deep in a book for a few hours and not feel your hunger because the pleasure of the emotional or, or intellectual or psychological attachment that you're getting from reading that book causes to drown out the nefesh demand. So the Ruach is more powerful. Relationships are... Our need for relationships is more powerful than our physical needs. And even higher than that is our need to live uh, as moral, ethical beings. That's, that's called the Neshama, the Neshama part. And then there are two higher levels of consciousness called the Chaya and the Yechida. They don't come down in a body at all because it's too... Um, holy for a body even. We only reunite with it once we leave our physical world and we die. But um, a person can access levels of consciousness whilst he's in this world where he's in a very uplifted, elevated state of very deep consciousness and very much awareness of the power and the love and the excitement and the stimulation and the realness and the authenticity of being connected to Hashem, 
you whilst you're still in a body, you can experience that kind of level of attachments. Dvekas Bashem, Sadikim have it all the time. Sadikim are there in, in a nanosecond. They open their siddha and they're straight rocketing high. It's nothing with them to get into the necessary state of consciousness. But this is really the stuff, the stuff of prophecy, how you uh, apply for prophecy and start being trained in how to be a prophet. A certain um, meditative skills and strategies that an established prophet had to teach uh, a new, you know, newbie, how you achieve strong, powerful, clear, pure states of consciousness, like, you know, stuff like, you know, clearing your brain and meditating, calming down, and then deeper, deeper, deeper levels. So, What's the so I explained to this girl, I told her it's not like Hashem's gonna ask you to fill out a questionnaire and if you won't know, you won't do well in the interview, you'll be thrown out or Ganadin. It's, it's not like it's not a seminary interview. It's it's what it's like is once you transition out of your body and you start going, start getting aware of the real world. This is not the real world. This world is a smokescreen. This world is offering a lot of options to um, get swallowed up and distracted by a bunch of lies and and, and ego and, and contaminated thoughts that have nothing to do with reality. This This is just an opaque world that, you know, doesn't really just offers up daily servings of nonsense and we have to somehow pierce our way through and and just struggle to overcome the 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 noise and the chaos and and try to see what's what's true from not true but the next world we don't have that struggle as soon as we transition out of our bodies it was like wow this is freedom i can finally be myself i can really think I'm finally liberated. First of all, the excitement that I'm liberated from the demands of my body. I mean, in case you didn't notice, our bodies do take a lot of time out of us. They take a lot of energy and take a lot of resources that we don't always have the patience. But if we don't accommodate them, uh, that's no fun either. So first of all, just the liberation and the freedom of I can float as much as I want, I can go anywhere I want, spaceship, magic carpet, and no limitations, it's a very exciting experience. But also, we become so strongly aware of God consciousness, of Hashem consciousness, of that the truth is shining all over, that I gave her a marshal, like I say, if you loved your friend very much, and you suddenly became aware that she's somehow distancing herself from you. She's like not treating you like she always did. You would find yourself asking yourself, could I have done anything to insult her, her to distance her? You would find yourself rummaging through your brain and self-investigating to see if you could have done anything to cause her to react this way. You end up asking yourself the question. No one's asking the question. You are asking yourself. Well, the Gemara Masechta Shabbos is saying that when a person comes to the next world, he is asked the following question. It means you come to a level of awareness of truth, and that particular Gemara wants to alert us which topics we will find bothersome if we didn't have a proper connection to them. Like, it's a piece of Yeshua, it's one of the questions. Did you yearn enough for Mashiach? Even though there isn't one person in the entire Torah, from the beginning of Bereshit to Le'inikon Yisrael, officially commanding you to wait for Mashiach. But we know as loyal Jews and as Yidin who live with a proper Torah Hashkafa perspective, with a proper understanding of human destiny and our personal and national role and contributing crucial um, responsibility to make that happen, Lesakin Olam Malchus Shakai, 
which really causes us to yearn already, you know, to already see a result to our heavy responsibility and to already, it's already been a very, very long time that we've been globetrotting trying to make this happen. And so if a person doesn't feel connected to this part, when he gets into his, into the world of truth, where only the truth is available and no distractions and no pizza and no nothing and no parties and then he is going to be bothered if he didn't have enough of a personal input into this situation that we have still not been relieved of our burdens from godless and why didn't I do more? The, that's what the Kumar is saying. These topics will be of concern to you then. So take care of it now. So what we need to understand really is that the wicked people in the afterlife, with all their hearts and soul, with every fiber of their being, with every gut-wrenching molecule, desire more than anything under the sun not to exist. Their existence is torture. They would do anything under the sun not to exist. Their punishment is that they must exist. But they must exist in a state where the world of truth is shining and radiant and to their bitter, bitter, bitter disappointment, bad luck, shock and inexplicable trauma they have no connection with it. They have no relationship with it. As a matter of fact, it hurts them. In other words, not everybody likes truth. Some people hate truth. Some people get very nervous around very honest people because they're terrified that their own nonsense will be exposed. They feel very uncomfortable around them. Like wicked people hate Sadiqim, they hate righteous people. You go throughout Jewish history, you read in our national history through Tanakh a million times over, all the kings who were serving Avodah Zorah, were serving the Baal, first thing they did is killed the Navi, killed the Navi Emes, killed the prophet. Why? What do you care? You have your opinion, and he has your opinion, so what's your issue? Why do you need to kill him? What's your issue? But the truth is painful, disturbs him. Even 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 it says embarrassment, the source of embarrassment, human shame and embarrassment, at its core internal, it's always the same principle operating in a person's psyche when he gets embarrassed. And what is it? We see this by Ache Yosef, Yosef's brothers, when they um he they finally met up with their brother after twenty two years. And when he finally revealed himself to them, he said, Ani Yosef Achichem I'm Yosef, your brother, is our father still alive? Well, that's been the negotiations for the last week or so. That we, you can't keep Benjamin. Our father's going to go really down to the grave. Our father already lost a brother. And our father, we left our old haggard father. And until he let us go, and he didn't want to give us permission. And our father and our father, we need to go back to our father. And you can't keep Shimon and everything. And uh, finally, he couldn't anymore. And he revealed himself. And he said, is our father still alive? And the Pasuk said, They were not able to answer him. Rashi says, Mipnei from the embarrassment. That what? Because suddenly they got it. Here we are so concerned about our father and our father and our father. We are so protective of our father. What about 22 years ago when we sold our brother? Then we didn't worry about our father? And that's what Yosef said to them. That was his gentle rebuke to them. Ani Yosef achichem, am Yosef's your brother. Is our father still alive? You're so worried about your father? What about 22 years ago? You didn't worry when you sold me? What will do to him? You think that there was no result to, to what you did? The sorrow you caused him for 22 years? Now you're even talking about my challenges. He never mentioned at all. What about our father? Our father. At that moment they got it that their actions and reactions of the last week of talking to him like this and all that were contradictory. 
And when a person gets shown up that his actions are contradictory to his principles and his mission statement and what he believes in, that's the really the a very embarrassing moment, so a source of embarrassment. Think about it. Any time in your life that you have ever been embarrassed, it's because at that point you believed that you expect of yourself something higher, a higher standard than what has now shown up to be. That's a source of embarrassment. If a person never expected themselves of a higher standard, he's never embarrassed. I know babies are never embarrassed when they burp. A Trump could be holding a baby and the baby will burp in his face. And she's not embarrassed that he's Donald Trump. She couldn't mm -hmm. care. But sometimes you're embarrassed because um, somebody makes you feel... Because Nobody can make you feel anything. It's your reaction. There is no way under the sun that a human being can make another human being feel anything. No human being can make anyone feel stupid. Those people who were, who were degraded, beyond degraded by Hitler and his Nazi henchmen who tell them to wash the floor, wash the streets of Vienna because you made them filthy. They did it because they wanted to save their life. But they were the righteous ones, were proud as a peacock that you have a need to degrade me because I'm Jewish. And when the larger roof, Rabbi Elichai Meisels, was smiling whilst the Nazi beasts were torturing him. They asked him, why are you smiling? In front of everybody in the, in the larger ghetto. They asked him, why are you smiling? He said, because I'm delighting in the fact that you're torturing me and I'm not torturing you. And that's a reason to smile, that you're the beast and I'm the prince. So these Nazis couldn't get anyone to feel embarrassed. You read Holocaust stories, they don't talk about their humiliation and embarrassment, they talk about their physical pain. Because a Yid who was aligned to the fact that I'm being tortured for the fact that I'm Jewish, still never forgot the fact that I am still a prince. And the reason you hate me is because I'm a prince. Well, let's say, let's say somebody um, is asking to, to speak somewhere, and they forget to call in. If you feel if you feel like feeling shame, that's your interpretation of it. If you forgot, but, um, it's not, uh, if it's objectively not, objectively it's humiliating, no. It's not what you you describe. You said that if a person um, feels that uh, um, he didn't live up to some uh, ideal, right. he also. No, he could he could interpret it. Wow, I got an evening off. I don't have to go speak. That's up to him. It's up to him to decide how to interpret it. That's his. Depending what his interpretation of his standard is, and what he thinks that this is the this is a confirmation that he's a Ishmuchabad because that person called him to speak. That's no confirmation of no nothing. Who who knows who said that that person is the judge of the world? But if he worked so hard and he put in so much effort and then they forgot to call him up. Okay, so that was the, he can interpret it how he wants. I can tell you fifty different interpretations. You could be disappointed, but it's not. A, doesn't have to be a source of embarrassment. Uh, call him up on purpose, or if he, everyone knows. Right, so he, everyone knows that he chose someone else. So he can. So he can still. He still has the freedom to interpret it. That it makes no difference to me. That person isn't God, and his evaluation of me doesn't objectively mean a thing. And he could have a thousand reasons, nothing to do with me, why he decided to choose someone else. Maybe he got a sponsor, and that person only wanted this speaker, and he was more he was more interested now in the money than in me. It could be a thousand things. Anything could happen. It's still subject to interpretation. That That isn't an intrinsic cause of embarrassment. That's your interpretation. What's an intrinsic cause of embarrassment is when the source of truth, Hashem, God, when the source of truth is and the source of your true consciousness is showing you up that you are behaving contradictory. 
or that you are preaching and claiming to uh, subscribe to a certain ideal. Yeah, but your mind is free. You're a free being. You can make a decision on the spot. Wow, I'm going to have such fun with this kid. Kids' company is amazing. There's no social pressure. I can have such a good time with them. They're such fun. They're such fun. I'm going to have a blast. I just sit next to a bunch of boring women I have nothing in common with, pretending, pretending to be interested. I can always beckon to the waiter that I want an adult portion. I can always have... It's not objectively embarrassing. Exactly. Exactly. I really believe he didn't walk away humiliated. Yes. Okay. He didn't like, um, and even if I would have sidelined him and said, "No, I chose her instead of you," and but you were humiliated because I did something wrong. I, I had a moment that would I, I should, yeah, in a moment that didn't work out. Yeah. I know it definitely taught me now. I double check things because right now I I did something that I want to fix. That I but him coming in there and even if I would have said, "No, I like her to speak," I'm so sorry and. It's disappointment. He's up here to speak, right? But he's such an emotionally healthy person and speaking for the right reasons that it wasn't humiliating for him. It was like, that's not what Hashem wants me to do now. Healthy. It's... Yes. Um, okay. Like, nobody so, can knock you so, if you don't let yourself... Yeah, that's the yeah. point. So, so, uh, so take a uh, lady who was put by the kids or something. I was put by the kids because the person was trying to teach me a lesson, trying to knock me. I know who I am. Take a deep breath and say, I don't know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't sing songs and call the waiter, but <laughs> I might walk out of the hall and make some phone calls instead. But the end of the day, another person's evaluation of me has nothing well to do with me, and it's nothing well to do with anyone, actually. I, my evaluate, you know, it's, be, it, it's it, doesn't, it doesn't take anything away from me. It doesn't change my status quo in any, in any which way. Nothing gets changed fundamentally. Intrinsically, I am who I am. She can think what she wants. She can evaluate me in whatever way she wants. That's her business. Objectively, it doesn't have to in any way. And she, there is no evidence that she uh, is more right than I am. There's uncomfortable situations. And then there's like... Right. Like, right. Like people do things wrong to you. And it's wrong. And people, but deep humiliation comes when I do something... Right, right. At the end of the day, nobody, nobody can control how we feel about ourselves. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. So let's go back to this, this, these ideas. So the Russia, the wicked person... His terrible thing is that with all in heart his soul, like this allegory it poetically um, described in the Pasukun Yeshaya, that Hashem will take the, the um, you know, grind up the Rishayim and throw it under the dust, under the feet of the wick, of the, um, of the Sadiqim. In that minute, the Rosh, whatever that means, but in his level of experience, he will be so, so, hurt and the deepest source of his pain is that he did it to himself and he was warned a million times because Hashem does send warnings to people whilst they're in this world Hashem sends warnings to, to wicked people all the time 
together wipe up call that now he can only have a humiliating connection with the tzaddik. He has to be connected somehow because it's the world of truth and everyone knows everything. But it is exposed and revealed to everybody that his relationship to that tzaddik isn't a, it's a dysfunctional relationship. It's a relationship, but it's dysfunctional. And that's his source of pain. It's like his whole life he hated tzaddikim. And now he's stuck with them again. It's just like it's, the Gemara says that for that, that Koirach is still jumping up and down and screaming, Moshe Emes for Saresa Emes. And it's still going on. He and 250 people, and they weren't, nobody, those people, they were intelligent people with high IQ, who knew a lot of Torah, but were horribly, horribly warped, misguided, and mistaken. And they did not speak the voice of reason or the voice of truth. And they're still screaming. Thousands of years they're screaming. And the Gemara says still hot and fire, whatever that means. It means burning humiliation. So the quality of life in the wicked and the afterlife is that they wish that they didn't have to exist. Uh, make it, make it more um, maybe psychological resonant. It's when a person feels let's do let sometimes something is easy to identify with this contract. When a person feels very much alive in any given situation, it means. He's very deeply enjoying that moment. He's feeling alive, stimulated, full of life, radiant, glowing, excited. He just feels alive. It means that right now he's very deeply connected to what's going on. It resonates with him. It stimulates him. What's the difference between one person and another enjoying a wedding? Let's say it's a really expensive wedding, just for argument's sake. A wedding costs a quarter million dollars. So it's gorgeous. But still, the whole of a thousand people, each person there is having a different personal experience out of it. The most exciting experience is probably the chosen color. Because it was made for them. And they are the greatest contributors to everybody else having a good time tonight. And they are the greatest contributors to the 50-piece band making a nice buck and to the caterer and to the flowers and to everything that comes with it they are the greatest contributors tonight of making people feel productive and happy and fulfilled and making a gorgeous wedding next in the hierarchy who's enjoying that most hopefully the parents the siblings the colors best friend the chosen's best friend the colors mother's best friend, the father's best friend, those who are closest to the wedding. I'll tell you who's enjoying this wedding the least. The janitor. He is at the wedding. And he's cleaning with his whole crew. And he's running to the bathrooms every five minutes. And he is at the wedding. And guess what? He was invited to the wedding. He got paid to come to the wedding. The other guests didn't get paid to come to the wedding. But the other guests feel so honored to be part of this amazing experience that everybody's talking about. So how can it be? The janitor was paid. And the guy who did the uh, uh, electrical... Uh, connections for the 50-piece band with all those coils and whatnot. He had to come ready from 3 in the afternoon. And he had to put up all the signs on which orchestra it is. He got paid for it. And he was invited to the wedding. He doesn't feel as important as the colour. Why not? Colour wasn't paid to go to the wedding. The chosen wasn't paid. The makhtunam weren't paid. The guests weren't paid. The children, the children's table weren't paid. <laughs> so you see very, very clearly that the source of enjoyment is 
how much of a contributing factor am I and how deeply personally connected am I to this excitement going on here right now? It's like coming to a shir. You see different people are having a different level of resonance and connection to what this insight is doing for them and their souls are beginning to blossom and bloom and the insight is beginning to start living inside them. Torah is Torah is Chayim. Kim Chomakor Chayim Baruch El. Torah is Eitz Chayim Torah is the source of life. Our spirituality, our souls were created before our body. So our souls are more powerful than our body, which is why our souls survive death and will never ever die. The indomitable spirit. And and globally and, and nationally and communally and collectively, the indomitable collective spirit of the Jewish nation. Because we were created and constructed and programmed to survive eternally and to live eternally and to be in a bond with Hashem, be connected to Him eternally, do mitzvahs eternally, keep the Torah eternally, we have been built for eternal life. So we have an indomitable spirit jumping inside us. We are the most excitable, excited, stimulated, stimulating, aggressive, contributive people on earth. And nothing will quell quell us. The persecution and terrorism, nothing is going to dampen our spirit. We have this unquenchable thirst to be connected to Hashem no matter what. So that we see that in the end, source of pleasure equals connection. Source of displeasure equals disconnection. What's the person thing? I didn't enjoy the wedding. I had no one to talk to. I had no company. Or my company was totally unstimulating. What does the word mean? My company was unstimulating. It means I couldn't connect or resonate with what excites them and what's their topic of conversation isn't something that means anything to me. I was bored out of my wits. When a person says I'm bored, it means I didn't know how to involve my soul in that experience. It doesn't talk to me. It just doesn't talk to me. I have no shaykhs. Intellectually, emotionally, physically, psychologically, spiritually, theologically, whatever it is, I'm not there. I'm not on that page. I'm in really only focus on what our purpose in life is and where I am right now. It's all in sync. At this right. moment, I've gone to a quarter million dollar wedding. I've spoken to colors of a quarter million dollar wedding. Some colors are very miserable at their own wedding. They feel people are going to be uncomfortable. The band, whatever, it's not them. Right. Their spiritual level, right. the mind everything is not in sync. Right. And that makes you uncomfortable and embarrassed because sure. it's not sure. your sure. expectations. Sure. And I don't go for the food and stuff. I went there and I really feel like I connected to that color for five minutes and walked out. I had a different experience. Right. I don't care about the bands. Exactly. Resonate. So right. Exactly. So it's all has to, it all has to be lined up. Exactly. That's my point. That's my point. See, Oilam Habor, the afterlife, is the wedding, the ultimate multi-billion dollar wedding. There is never, never, ever, ever going to be such a beautiful wedding. It's a the wedding. The wedding of Hashem and Am Yisrael. But you need to have a connection to that wedding that is very deep and very real and a source of pleasure and pride and honor and glory for you to be able to enjoy that experience. Everyone will be there. Everyone will be there. But what will be your connection to your experience? That depends on your how many mitzvahs you did in this world and how deeply you're connected to Hashem on every level, on a very, very deeply personal level. That's one thing. And the second thing is status. The Ramchal and Derech talks a lot about the fact that when we get into the afterlife, our status will not be able to change. A, girl, a student once asked me a great question. She said, if your status will never change in Ayla and that's it, that's final, that we know. 
We know that Ha'olam Hazer, Hayyam Katsav Amlachim Rebbe We know that we better rush up in this world and chap as many mitzvahs as possible because they won't always be available. Yet the so we know that there's a cutoff date and there's a final where you'll be. That's it, you know. You come to Olam Abba, whatever you manage, Haskin Asmav Prozda, Kadesh Tikkunis Latraktim. However, you prepared yourself in this world, Misha Torah Be'er Shabbos, Yerichel Shabbos, whoever prepared before Shabbos will have what to eat in Shabbos, which is in this world, every many mitzvahs you prepared in this world, you get into the next world. In this world, a light gets planted for the righteous, and the next world, there you'll, there you'll reap your rewards. We're all very aware of this. We, that's what motivates us to be miskabon ourselves and to accept the challenge of the oil of Torah and mitzvahs, accept ourselves our burden, because we want to have a steel in ganaiden, or however you, uh, you, know, you, you think of, you want to think. But there's a possible continuum that says, uh, talking about the afterlife in the light for the righteous, and it says, that they, those people, they will go from strength to strength in the afterlife, and they will see Hashem B'tzion. Because as we said, the afterlife will be in a resurrected body, and we will live in Eretz Yisrael. We'll do all the mitzvahs in Eretz Yisrael. So that pasuk seems to say that our status will constantly be upgraded. So she asked me, it contradicts to what we say, that you, whatever you, you came with, that's what you have. No stores open, no nothing, nothing. I was, I go often to speak in a nursing home here in, in the rehab and uh, rehab center. And um, a woman, I go visit the women sometimes, and a woman told me with a, a tremendous sorrow that her, why is she now in this rehab center? Because her, she's extremely wealthy, her daughter's not religious, and her daughter went and got her kind of, um, you know, signed up there because her daughter wanted to take over her house. Plain wanted to steal her house and she convinced them somehow to take her. And, of course, I don't know, you know, how much of it is delusional, how much of it is true, how much is psychotic. I have no way of knowing. Whatever. But that's the story she tells me and she's miserable and she really, she wants to be home. <coughs> it's possible that, you know, all this is not true, but Whatever. But what she did say, and it reminded me of life in the afterlife, that so she said, but my son, who is religious, came to visit me, and he brought me money because he saw that I'm so um, depressed and miserable here. But I don't have anything to buy in this place. There's nothing to buy in this place, and they don't let me out. Look, they lock me in. They don't let me out. So here she is. She's with wads and wads and packs and packs of money in a place where she's got nothing to buy. So we are accustomed to thinking, I've got plenty to do with, with, with piles and piles of money. Just give them to me. I'll take care of it. But what we don't realize is, is that we are stuck in a place where there's nothing to buy. It's going to be that very money is going to become a source of pain. Because I already have the money, but I haven't got nothing to buy. I have dreams. I know what I want to buy, but I don't have where to buy it. I don't have a way of buying it. Like uh, Rabashkin said that in in jail, the the currency is stamps, postage stamps. You're not allowed to have money. The only thing you're allowed to have is postage stamps, as many as you want, because you're allowed to write letters home to your loved ones, as many as you want. So the currency exchange between the inmates, if they want to trade for each other, is postage stamps. The biggest millionaire in jail is the guy who has the most postage stamp. And he was laughing to himself how these people kill themselves and make a million deals for postage stamp. The second they get out, it's not worth anything. You can't buy a house with postage stamp. And he said one year he was so determined to do kaporas that with postage stamps he went <laughs> swishing around his thing like this was his currency. There's nothing you could do. Because he, when he came in and committed himself, he's not going to... Let off even one minute, not even the minicoporus. But it's just a marshal how people save up and they're desperate to achieve certain currency, but they get to the next world, this currency isn't isn't worth anything. So this girl asked me that the Pasuk says, and that it sounds like that you will get upgraded levels, but we learn that you stay status quo. So I explained to her 
that your status gets fixed in the next world means, for example, when we will see the Chafetz Chaim in the resurrection, in the afterlife, we're all going to recognize Chafetz Chaim because we've seen his picture many, many times. We're going to see him fully resurrected. There won't be a person who has seen his face and won't recognize him. Everyone knows that's the Chafetz Chaim. We see the Baal Shem Tov, or somebody will tell us that's the Baal Shem Tov. That's Rebbe Rebbe Maila. That's Rashi. That's Tzanzeru. That's Ravina and Ravashi. That's Avram. That's Yitzchak. That's Yaakov. That's Sora. That's Rivka. That's Rachel. That's Lay. That's Nomi. That's Ruth. That's uh, Frau Shanira. That's your grandmother. That's your grandmother that you're named after. Go say hi. <laughs> Let's make a dance of all those who were named after her. Thousands coming together. She'll say, no, 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 I was named after someone else. Okay, let's go get her. She'll say, no, 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 I was named after someone else. Okay, let's go get her. We'll make a whole uh, party here of all of us who have the same name. We'll go to the original one, etc., etc. But what happens is, even though Avram, Yitzchak, Yaakov, Sarah, Rivka, Rachelea, Ruva, and Shimon, Yosef, Michal, Bashol, Shol, David, everybody's getting up at Chiyas Amesim. Even Koyrach is getting up. Darizal says that Koyrach is getting up at Chiyas Amesim. Darizal says that the soft tables of Tzadik, Katom, and Yifrach is Koyrach. After everything is said and done, he will get up to Chiyas Amesim. Even him with his 250 people, what he'll do in the base of Mikdash, Pasha's Koyrach, I don't know. <laughs> what he'll do when we'll read... I do not know. I'm not looking at his face then. I'm looking at Aaron Akoin at that point. I don't know. I, I, I don't know what he's going to do with that. What he's going to do when he says from Aleichem to the Chavetz Chaim, who paskened as a Doraisa, that if you talk Lashon Hara, you're Machazak and Machloikas, and you're over the rice of Loyikakorachadoso, I don't know what that Shulam Aleichem would look like. But, uh, that's, but, when we'll, but all these people, their history, their biography, their autobiography, their position in Am Yisrael, their position in our minds, in their position in what we learn about them, how they're role models for us or, or unroll models for us, either inspiring us or expiring us, one of the two, that is not changing. Their status is staying. He is the Chavot Chaim, is staying from the Chavot Chaim. Yes. He will forever and forever, every single minute, every single nanosecond, have more nachas and more nachas and more pleasure and more pleasure because he'll see more and more people who were influenced by him and the result of the influence and he'll be shown all the people, all the machloikas that he saved and all the people who made up, all people who made peace because of him, all the happiness that came to people because they learned the Chavot Chaim, because they listened to him, all that. So every minute being exposed and introduced to more people sharing their stories of what happened as a result that they learned to Allah and all the issues they had and all the stories will will have so much to catch up on we won't be able to stop talking for a minute a minute a minute just sharing with each other all the stories of the billions of infinite influences that we have had on each other through things. So every single minute, yet, but forever he's the Chavetz Chaim. Forever he's the Baal Shem Tov. Forever he's the Tzanzeru. Forever he's Yosef Atzadik. Forever he's Avram Vino. That's what means that your status remains fixed. You made yourself a biography, and that's you. The pleasure is going to be forever and ever and ever for billions and trillions and jillions of years. The pleasure will be ongoing forever and ever and ever and ever to such an extent that the Gemara Mesechta Brocha says, quote a passage in Ashaya, that nobody ever saw it, so nobody can describe it properly because it's not the human being isn't capable of containing so much happiness, which is really the true reason why we need to have a reconstructed body for Tchia Samesim. It's because the body that we have right now, we are accustomed to the idea that if, chas v'shalom, God forbid, a person has too much pain, then he can get a heart attack and dies from sorrow, from agres nefesh. People die from what we're not accustomed to realizing that the same is true if a person has a lot of too much joy than he can handle can also flip out and die from happiness. How do we know? Because the Zoya Kodesh says that every single day Yaakov Avinu appears to Serach Bas Osha in Ganeiden 
And there's a special Heichal, it's called Heichal Serach Bas Asher, the second Heichal of Ganeidah, the seven Heichalot. And who goes there? The Nashim Tzitkanus who like to tell other people good news. Ishtoy Mavasatoy, it's a mitzvah to tell people good news. It shows you have good heartedness. Also other good things that righteous women do. But that Heichal is given the honor, it's called on her name, Heichal Serach Bas Asher. And the Zohar Kodesh says that every single day is a lesson in Akoros Atoy. We can learn such a deep lesson of gratitude every single bingle day. Yaakov Avino comes to Sarah Basasha and he says, Thank you for breaking the news to me. Oi Joseph Chai, so gradually, and whether she, you know, played on the harp and said, Oi Joseph Chai, so I was able to absorb the news. I was able to survive the good news. So I was able to still see my son Yosef and live with him in Mitzrayim before I died. So we see that the human soul is limited to how much emotion it can contain. Both sorrow, pain, because it would get a heart attack and die, and both too much pleasure. The real reason why we need to have a reconstructed body for the afterlife, for the resurrection, is because Hashem is going to give us an immortal body that will be able to survive the constant upgrading joy of the afterlife because every single minute we will be treated to a brand new experience of a joyous experience because suddenly we will be shown the effects of the good deeds that we did in this world which is really literally endless what's the difference between Ganeiden and and Olimabo? I'll give you a marshal it's like Ganeiden is like when you imagine yourself walking down the street and you see someone looks exactly like you. And you say, oh my goodness, there can't be two of me. And then you think, what? You see that person is doing exactly the same that you did yesterday. Yesterday you were across on the street and you saw a woman across the street needed help carrying stuff and you went over and you, you helped her carry it and you relive that experience of you vacillating and struggling with yourself. Shall I go help her? Shall I not go help her? Do I have time? Do I not have time? Shall I I go for it? And then you see that you did and you see so excited. You see a glorious shining moment how you did help her. And you are so grateful that you made that decision. And you relive the pleasure of having made the decision. It's exactly you. Imagine you walk walk down, down, and a minute later, you see another one of you, another one of you, another one of you. And all the good things that you did, you get to relive the experience of the shining moment and feeling so proud and grateful. Yes, it is me. It is me. It is me. Yeah, that's definitely me because you're reliving it. That's Ganadam. When you're constantly reliving the good stuff that you did and there... It's the only currency that's that's bechavadik. That's the only, the only honor and, and joy that we get is from the good decisions we made. What's the opposite experience of Ganadin when you get to relive a moment that was less than shining and you regret it so much that after a while it gets washed out, not linear time, Hashem's time, it gets washed out, it gets erased, it gets eroded. The sorrow that you made the wrong decision, especially now in contrast to the world of truth and when you have such regrets, oh, oh, you have such deep regret, why did I make that decision? After a while it gets eroded and we go to Ganeda. And it's and you're in the company of like-minded people, so you feel good. I'm I'm a Ishma Khubadi, I'm a I'm a I'm a honored person here. I'm not the you know. Oilam Habam is when you get to see the endless, endless, endless repercussions, infinite, in uh, unimaginable ripple effects of your act. You get to see what happened because you helped this woman into the car. Now she arrived in the car with a little more energy and feeling more hopeful and trusting in because the goodness of your spirit washed on her 
And when a person gets treated by another person's goodness, it somehow restores your hope in life, restores your trust in humanity, it restores your trust in life, and it restores your trust in human goodness, and in the end, everybody and everything will be fixed up and life will be okay. Because she felt better inside about her, she came home, she was more loving to her kids, she was more loving to her husband, she was more loving, she was more had more nurturing spirit, she ignited and her reignited her, she was weary and tired, and you reignited in her a nurturing spirit, a, a feeling of hope. And with that feeling of hope, she went and she transmitted that to her children. And some of her kids were struggling that day. And because mommy was loving and nurturing and more present, they did better. And the same thing goes for anyone else she affected that day. And with that spirit, she had more energy to clean her house, to give her children be able to give them more and with their clean house the kids did better and she did better and it restored in her some confidence that she is a man she is a coper that she is functional then and restored her confidence that all this is such deep 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 secret 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 stuffs of the soul that only hashem knows no human being can ever know this this is hashem stuff in Oilam Haba Hashem will reveal all that to the person who picked up the bags and put it in the car for the lady. And that kind of information, that kind of pleasure is endless, 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 endless. So the pleasure will be on go on on forever and ever and ever. We were going to be like we are going to be like dreamers. What? With picking up someone's bag? I have all this endless pleasure and glory and I feel so powerful that I impacted such huge things of cosmic reality. What are you talking about? People's lives got turned around forever and ever and ever and ever because I picked up someone's bag. What? It's just so incredible. So we will need a resurrected body that can handle so much incredulousness going from one to the next to the next to the next and never having enough and all this is because of Hashem's perfection and love for us and purposefulness so every single thing that we do gives us the opportunity to have this type of experience in the afterlife and only this world, this is this world is the only place where we can earn that kind of experience for ourselves. Thank you so much. Mm -hmm.